Amen. Well, you, you probably noticed when you came in that there was a little stack of paper on your chair. And one of those pieces of paper is a uh, thing that has the uh, text, the scripture text on it today. And uh, I wanted to just explain why, why we're giving that to you is, is because in the study of Joshua we are, that we're in, uh, there are times when we're going to be covering substantial sections of scripture. And uh, uh, wanted to provide that for you so that you could see it because we may not read every, every verse uh, of, of the text but we'll be talking about the text in its context and I don't want you to just take my word for it or Joel's word for it if we're, if we're talking about what God's word says. We want you to see that. We want you to have it. We want you to be able to uh, read it for yourself um, in the event that you didn't bring a Bible or an iPhone with a Bible app on it. When I was interviewing here uh, back in the spring, I... Um, I was making an illustration about the holiness of the Word of God, and I asked for whoever thought they had the holiest-looking Bible in the room to, to raise it above their heads, and iPhones went up everywhere. It was great. It was great. All right. Um, we're in this study of Joshua. We're coming to the Lord's table today, and uh, the two things uh, coincide in a, in, in a way that really invites us to examine uh, this question how fragile is your life? And I want you to think about that question. I've got, I've got a wind problem here. All right, I'm going to move out of the way. Okay. How fragile is your life? How on the verge of ruin are you from day to day? It's a question that really is getting to the issue of, of fear. What are, you, what are you afraid of in life? And that's a holy question that I'm asking you. If we step into each other's lives in the areas where we are most afraid, we find out really quickly, don't we, that we are standing on holy ground with someone. We have these ways of drawing certain lines around us where we say, you can come, you can come this far with me, but you can't, you can't go any further than that. That's as far as I'm going to let you go. This happens in the area of fear. And fear is a funny thing because it reveals a lot. It reveals a lot about what we really believe. One of the things I believe is that I am standing in a room of people who are terrified, myself included, about all manner of things. And we have our ways of dealing with that, of controlling things, of managing, of setting goals to hopefully keep things at a distance. Fears reveal profound things about us, what, it, what we truly believe, and what we believe about the strength of our position in life, how close we really are to ruin. And so it's, it's kind of hard to overstate the power that fear can have in people's lives because it's a deeply spiritual thing. It gets to the fabric of who we are and how we see ourselves in this universe. When I say it's a spiritual thing, I'm not just throwing that word out, but but think about it. Fear has this, has this transcendent quality to it that you can't always account for. We do the most irrational things because of fear. We'll spend and give away entire days and weeks and months and even years to our fears. And it's not just that, but, but fear can convince us to shut ourselves down, to close off our hearts to people who can really help us Fear can persuade us to open ourselves wide open to people who really mean to take advantage of us and hurt us. 
We can ascribe horrible motives to well-meaning friends. Fear lies to us about security. And we want to hear what fear has to say about security. And here's what fear tells us about security. If you yield to the deepest fears in your life, then you can have some measure of control over your life. And we'll, we'll give ourselves to that. But here's the thing. When you're called to follow the Lord and you're in a relationship with the living God and you're walking with him, often what he is doing and what he's calling us to is to step out into these areas where we are most afraid, where one of three things will happen. One, he will hold us up in the face of our fears. Or two, he'll catch us when we stumble or fall. But then the third one is the one that we don't, we don't want, the one that we don't hope for, and that is that he will let us fall. He'll just let us fall and break in the places where we need to be broken. And it's holy ground when God does this. And he's doing it in your life in ways right now that I don't know. He's doing it in my life in ways right now that you don't know. But God is working against our fears unto the end that we would believe him and not the things that we're afraid of. In the book of Joshua, the Lord is calling Joshua to some things that have Joshua afraid. And we know he's afraid because the opening nine verses of the book of Joshua, you find three times just in that short section there that the Lord is telling Joshua over and over, be strong, be courageous, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why would God keep repeating this to Joshua if it wasn't for the fact that Joshua was battling with fear? He was wrestling with it. He was contending against fear. And it's not hard to understand where that fear is coming from in Joshua because God has called him to do something terrifying. He's calling Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land across the Jordan River into what will be an all-out war and conquest and battle for the land. Joshua is the one to lead them. And he's in this position. Think about your life right now. This is the position Joshua is in. He doesn't have the luxury of the option of saying, I'm just not going to do anything without consequence. Where we are in life, that's really never an option afforded to us, to just kind of get in a holding pattern and stay still and expect there to be no consequences for that. That's an action itself, right? Joshua can't take the people back to the life that they knew before because they're it doesn't exist. There is no life that they knew before. Egypt has fundamentally changed. They were slaves there anyway. The generation before the people that are waiting to cross over are now dead and gone, and so are the storytellers. And all there is is Joshua and the generation, his own generation, the generation that came after him, and this call to go into the land and Joshua to lead, and they have to go forward. There's no place else for them to go. And with Joshua, it's not... It's not as simple as saying, well, he's just picking up where Moses left off. Moses had this great career of leading the people, and Joshua is just resuming Moses is dead, and Joshua's stepping in. Did you know that in the book of Deuteronomy, you read about the Lord commissioning Joshua to lead the people? And Moses is there, and Moses is a part of the commissioning service, and laying hands on Joshua and praying for him. And one of the things said at Joshua's own commissioning service is this. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. 
The Lord is saying to Joshua, you're not like Moses. And there will never be anybody like Moses. So Joshua is stepping into this role where he doesn't have this kind of proximity to God that, that Moses experienced. There was no burning bush. There was no coming down from the mountain to the people with these tablets of stone that have been inscribed by the very finger of God himself. There's none of these face-to-face encounters. There's, there's, there's Joshua, and what is he doing? He's doing what we do. He's interacting with the word of God. The Lord said, read the word, know the word, study the word, obey the word. Don't turn from, the, from it to the right or to the left, but be faithful to it. And that's how we follow the Lord too. We follow it reading the word, studying the word, using his word and his spirit as the one guiding us. So he's not shooting from the hip, but he's also not bringing all, all, all the power and influence and miracles of Moses either. He's in this place where he has to lead and he has to trust. And he's afraid and the people are afraid. And yet we come to this passage of scripture where Joshua, what's happening is in the first ten verse, nine verses, the Lord is commissioning Joshua and saying, be strong, be courageous, lead the people. The text that I'm gonna read now is Joshua then going to the people and leading them and saying to them the same things that the Lord said to him. Be strong, be courageous. God is with us. God is leading us. And he's addressing their fears and they're responding to their fears in a way where we see something overcoming their fears. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning is what is it that can combat the fears that so paralyze our hearts? And in a nutshell, I'll tell you what the answer is. The greatest antidote to fear in your life is truth. Is the truth of God's love for his people. His love drives out fear. And so I want to read the passage of Scripture, Joshua 1, verses 10 through 18, and then we're going to unpack three fundamental truths that are combating the fear facing the people of God, ourselves included. This is Joshua 1, 10 through 18. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. To the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. We've been talking for three weeks now about the fear and the grumbling of the people of God. And now we come to this. Is anybody surprised by the response 
of the people of God when Joshua brings this message that we're getting ready to cross over because there's this confidence, isn't there? There's this enthusiasm. There's this sense of we're ready to do this. Where do you think that's coming from? Because remember, these are, these are the descendants, the nomadic descendants of slaves. They have very little military experience. They have very few technological assets and they have no protection. Uh, that the world would recognize. They have no fortified cities to go to. They have nothing. And I submit that what's working against their fear is confidence in things that they are growing to know to be true. And I want to identify three. There are more. Of course there are more. But I want to identify three uh, just for us this morning as we unpack these and as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. The first truth that is at work combating fear here is that God decides the outcome of even the fiercest battles. God's the one who decides how the battles are going to end. And that's huge for these people. In verse 11, they describe the land as the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is God's fight. It's not Israel's first battle either since leaving Egypt They were in one other battle that they started with in the Sinai Peninsula against a people called the Amalekites. Am I losing you with this stuff? Hang with me. I'm giving you history. This is important, okay? This is the context of the story. Things are happening. It's one of the points that we're talking about today is that nothing is happening outside of context. Everything has a context that it's in. When they went up against the Amalekites... Moses went up on a hill. Moses was still alive and they were fighting. And Moses stretched up his hands to heaven and he prayed for God's blessing on Israel. And as long as his hands were raised, Israel was prevailing and the Amalekites were getting their tails whipped. And when he'd get tired and he'd start to lower his arms, the Amalekites would get strong and Israel would start to be prevailed upon. And Aaron and Hur, Moses' aides, recognized the trend of what was happening. And so they went and they held up his arms. And as long as they did this, Israel won. And the people of God recognized something that day. They recognized that God's blessing is what decides the battles. It's not our strength. It's not how equipped we are. It's not how swift or how strong. It's God who does this. And you see this conviction taking hold in Joshua when he and the other spies in Numbers 13 and 14 went into the promised land to look at the land. And they came back and most of the spies said, it's a great land, it's flowing with milk and honey, but there are fortified cities and there are armies and they're going to crush us. And Joshua and Caleb said, hold on a second, that's not how it works. God decides who wins. God is giving us the land. The people may be able to prevail against us, but they can't prevail against God. And so we need to go. We need to be faithful to the Lord. You see this happening. When you understand that God is the one who decides the outcome of even the fiercest battles. Your life is a lot less fragile. It appears a lot less fragile because you're not hanging in the balance about to get squashed. God is the one overseeing that. God determines the outcome of even the fiercest battles. This isn't a land that Israel is taking. This is a land that God is giving them. That's the first one. The second, what God is doing through you right now is not an idea he came up with just now. What God is doing through your life right now is not an idea he came up with just now. The people talk about obeying Joshua. 
in the context of obeying him like they obeyed Moses who obeyed God. They understand that they're in the middle of an unfolding story, a culmination of something that has been going on for 500 years and now they're three days away from going into the promised land that the Lord promised to Abraham. And everybody's on this trajectory in their minds that this has been the defining moment of their existence, this point of wandering in the wilderness to come to this place where they would cross over into the promised land. God is doing something. This is their destiny. This is what God is giving them. He's led them there and they understand that Joshua was following Moses who followed God. So nobody was being asked to trust in Joshua's military prowess. And no one was being introduced to a new idea. This was happening and what God was doing through them wasn't something that he had just come up with. And it's the same way for your life. What God is doing in you and through you right now is not something that he came up with just now. When fear grips us, we feel suspended in midair, don't we? Like there's no foundation, like anything could happen. The wrong wind could blow and the bottom could fall out and I could be undone and I could be ruined. Do you know that feeling? Beloved, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a categorical lie diametrically opposed to the glorious promise of God to his people where he says, I will be your God in an everlasting way and you will be my people and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're not in the middle of some random sequence of events. If God is the maker and sustainer of all, you're in his story. The beauty of this, David talks about this in Psalm 139 when he talks about his life and purpose and God's faithfulness over all things and he says this, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what you're in the middle of right now is something that has been written in the mind and the heart of God since before you were born? That doesn't mean we understand. But doesn't it liberate us from the need to understand if God is faithful? If God is over the events that are happening in our lives, we can know that even if we don't understand the purpose, there is still purpose. God is still working. And this truth is meant to push back against the voices of fear that tell you that your life is so fragile that you're just one mistake away from everything just coming, crashing down. Your life is not that fragile. And that's glorious. Your life is just not that fragile because God is the architect of the story that you're in. It's God's job to preserve and to protect you. This is a story, not, it's a story that he already knows, but more importantly, it's a story that he is also the author of. And so what God is doing through you right now isn't an idea that he came up with just now. And he's the one who decides the outcome of even the fiercest battles. The third truth that is combating the fear of the people of God, and I pray that it would for us, plays off of this idea that what God is doing through you right now isn't something that he just came up with right now, and that is that the story of your life is not ultimately a story about you. It's not. The story that you're living is not ultimately a story about you. And we see this happening in the text. I'm gonna just take a minute to explain what I'm talking about here because I want you to understand. 
How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, when I started talking about the Rubites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, said, ah, ah, what, what? That's something, there's something really cool happening there, okay? If you, if you have, you know, a Bible made of paper, or you have a Bible app that you paid for, because uh, the free ones don't have it, there's maps in the back. And one of the maps in almost any Bible, it's kind of one of the top three, is the division of the 12 tribes of Israel, where they were, shows you where they were settled. And one of the things that you'll notice is of the 12 tribes, all but two and a half of them were on the west side of the Jordan River, on the Jericho side of the Jordan River. But there were two and a half, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh that were settled on the east side of the Jordan River, which scripture so poetically describes as toward the sunrise. And this was their land, and guess what? They were already there. They'd already taken this land. But the Lord says to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, even though you're already here in the land, your men of valor need to pack up their stuff because you're going in with the other ten and a half, or nine and a half tribes. My math. Oh, nine and a half tribes. I'm going in. You're going in, and you're going to help them. And this is what they do. They go in and they help. Just because they didn't have any land for themselves on that side of the Jordan didn't mean that they were free from the responsibility of helping others in the con conquest. This was their conquest. This was their people, the story that they were in. They would join with the other tribes until the conquest was over and then and only then would they be able to come back and settle in the land that the Lord had given them. So no Reubenite man could look at himself as the center of the story that he was living out. Because the Lord said, yeah, yeah, this is about me settling my people in the promised land. And even though you're already kind of standing where your land is, the story that you're in is not about you. It's about what I'm doing. Our lives are not our own. Scripture tells us this. The people of God then and now, Jeremiah 10.23 says, belong to God first and Romans 12, 5 says, and then we belong to each other. I was just talking with somebody this morning about a message that Randy preached a while back downtown, talking about stepping into each other's lives with a sword and a sandwich. Do you remember this? This expression, you'll never forget it after today, a sword and a sandwich. That I'm gonna step into your life with a sword and I will do battle alongside you. I will fight for you, I will fight with you. I will contend for things that are true. That's the sword. What's the sandwich? It may take a while. <laughs> right? I'm going to bring a sandwich because we may have to stop for lunch and pick it up again in the afternoon. A sword and a sandwich. That's what the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are doing is they're bringing the sword and the sandwich into the fight because it's not their story. It's not about them. It's about what God is doing. Your story, the story of your life is not ultimately about you. Beloved, this is not a put-down. This is not God brushing you off as being unimportant. This is God making a profound statement about your value to him. If the story isn't about you, it means you don't have to be the hero, which is good. You know why? Because you're the one who needs to be saved. That's what God is doing. It's his story. He's the hero of this story. And we're, when we're submerged in our own fear, we tend to circle our wagons to try to gain control, right? We draw a line and we say, 
I can't have anything else in my life. People have needs. I got too much going on. I'm circling the wagons. We're going to get control over what I've got going on right now. And you never, ever, ever, ever will. You'll just never catch up. That's good. It's good that you never catch up because that's God's way of saying it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. When we see ourselves as the hero of our own stories, anxiety just has a field day with us because we know we're not up for the task. And yet, we are driven. We are driven to try. If what the people of God are about to do fails, understand the stakes. They will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. They've got no one covering their backs. They'll be destroyed. Those are the stakes. And here's the other part. They're not prepared and they're not equipped for what God has called them to do. But in three days, they're still going in, and they're taking the land, and all their eggs are in the basket of trusting God to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And brothers and sisters, you aren't as prepared or equipped as you might imagine either. It's what it means to follow the Lord, is to trust him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that he would be the hero of our story. There are things that you need to have happen that you cannot make happen. So how fragile is your life? How on the verge of ruin are you? Are you one misstep away from everything coming unglued? Truth is pushing back against fear today. If God decides the outcome of even the fiercest battles, it's not on you to prevail. If what God is doing through you right now isn't an idea that he came up with just now, then your context, the context that you're in, has a foundation. It has things built in around it that God is the one writing your story. And if the story of your life is not ultimately a story about you, then you don't have to be, you don't have to carry the pressure of being the hero. You can be the one who is being saved. You can give yourself away to what God is doing in you and through you and around you because if your faith is in Christ, things are not as fragile as you might think. They're not fragile at all. Why? Because God is the one who makes the promises. God is the one who keeps the promises and he promised you the same thing that he promised Joshua. In verse five of chapter one, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. May this truth conquer our fear. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see the extent of the fear in our own hearts and lives today, even as we think about what you're doing through the people of God. Lord, I thank you that you are present and active, that you are over the details of the things unfolding around us. Lord, I thank you that even when we are giving in to our fears, even when we are uh, yielding to the demands of our anxieties and our, our temptations to try to control things, you're still faithful. You're always faithful, even when we're faithless. Uh, but Lord, we thank you that you are not just leaving us alone, but that you are bringing your word to bear in our hearts that you are confronting. Lord, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, raise to the surface of our minds and hearts things that you want us to deal with today. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.